you have a copy of God's Word, please turn with me once again to Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul's letter to Philemon. And this time we'll go ahead and just read verses 4 through 16. Since we've already read the entire letter, we're now going to just look at verses 4 through 16, and our sermon this afternoon will be on verses 10 through 13. So once again, Philemon, starting at verse 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary." For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. May God once again add a blessing to the reading of his word, and now to the preaching of his word. Well, congregation, we spent this morning considering Paul's opening prayer to the Lord and and really his opening prayer uh, regarding Philemon and and how the apostle is encouraged, greatly encouraged by the work of the Lord in the life of Philemon and also just through the life of Philemon uh, to the church and to others involved, including the apostle Paul. This this, uh, introduction is essential as it sets the tone for everything that's about to follow in this letter. This introduction is vital. It's, it's important that Paul writes and first acknowledges the work of the Lord and how he is very thankful and grateful for his brother in the faith. But that's not the reason he writes the letter. He's not just writing the letter to share that he is very aware of all of the blessings bestowed upon Philemon in Christ Jesus. He knows of those things. Um, It would be okay if that was the purpose of his letter. Certainly it would be okay. But that's not the purpose of his letter. The purpose of his letter concerns a third party, another party. We've considered two parties uh, this Lord's Day, Paul, the beloved Paul, and the beloved Philemon. Um, But there's a third party, and, and one would say the reason behind the letter. And it's a man named Onesimus. Now, There's not much in the Bible concerning Onesimus. Um, We don't see him mentioned much at all. We don't know much about him. But what we do know is that Onesimus was a slave, a servant in the first century, a man that was uh, within another man's household 
for the purpose of a service, whatever that service may be. Onesimus was a servant, a slave. And he was Philemon's servant. He was Philemon's slave. Now this is going to be important as Paul now transitions to this praise and adoration to now a plea for this man, Onesimus. In our text today, we are going to see, by way of verses 10 through 13, the effects of the gospel in the life of Onesimus. Because the story, tells, the story goes, Onesimus left, he ran away, the household of, uh, ran away from the household of Philemon, specifically from Philemon himself, likely stole property that belonged to Philemon, and ended up in rebellion against the Lord, uh, sinning against Philemon, sinning against his whole household. And as he rebelled, as he fled, he finds himself at the hands of the Apostle Paul in Rome. Uh, it's likely that um, Onesimus, on his way through Rome, hears of the, of the gospel presented by the Apostle Paul. It's likely Paul reasons with him, as he is known to do, Acts 17, other places. And uh, by the grace of God, is converted, is brought to Christ. We know this by way of Paul's testimony, verses 10 through 13. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in and, and see what Paul says concerning Onesimus in light of this new faith. We first start with this plea in verse 8. In verse 8 and 9, we're going to go through very quickly. He says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. So there is an authority, an apostolic authority that the apostle has when writing this letter to Onesimus and ultimately writing it to the church. And that apostolic authority gives him the right to command that he receive Onesimus back into the household and ultimately back into the fold as Onesimus is now repentant. He is no longer in rebellion. He is no longer living in sin. By the grace of God, he has become a changed man. And the obligation at that point that Paul has before, him, before the Lord and really before Onesimus is to send him back to the place where he came from, that he may reconcile to both Philemon and all anyone else involved in his sin. And in order to do that, there are a couple, way, a couple things he can do. He can speak authoritatively and command that he goes back to Philemon and his household. Uh, it, is, it is not uncommon for the Apostle Paul to speak authoritatively in such matters. Second Thessalonians, Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians, many times he speaks with commands. He speaks with his apostolic authority. Yet that is not the route he takes here, pleading on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon. He takes the route of love. He says, for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. And why? Well, because the gentleman that he's going to appeal on behalf of has, has been a recipient of Christ's love. And therefore, his appeal is now on the basis of love and not a command. So this appeal is in verse 10, is for his son Onesimus, is what the text says. So I want us to first start at verse 10 uh, and, and, and look at what, how Paul describes Onesimus in these three verses. I've titled this sermon, The Effects of the Gospel, and we are going to have four points in our consideration. 
Those four points consist of, first and foremost, Onesimus being, uh, being um, what, what once was a rebel and once was a slave in that slave-to-sin sense, now being called a son by the apostle. So he, first, he goes from first slave to son. Second point will, will be by way of the text showing him to be uh, once unprofitable but now profitable by God's grace. Uh, the third point will show forth that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as preached by the Apostle Paul and impressed upon the heart of Onesimus by the Holy Spirit literally changed the direction of Onesimus's life. Not just generally, but literally changed his direction. And then fourth, if we have time, we'll, we'll see that last point and how he is to be received by the church. So let's go ahead and jump right in. First, from slave to sin. The effects of the gospel take one from being a slave, excuse me, slave to son. Verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. After establishing the basis of his appeal, the Apostle Paul now turns to describing the one who he is appealing on behalf of, namely Onesimus. He sets the tone to Philemon. He says, Philemon, I'm not commanding this of you, but I am appealing to you on the basis of love and now turns to the substance of his appeal, Philemon himself. First and foremost, we know Philemon as a slave. From prior messages or from prior texts, we know that Philemon is a servant. His master was, or excuse me, Onesimus was a servant. His master was the beloved Philemon. And he had run away from him in great rebellion. When you think of what it means to be a slave of a Christian master in this first century context, it's actually a tremendous blessing. Think about what it, mean, what it meant for Onesimus to be a slave in the first century, especially a slave of a Christian household. Well, that first would mean he had a job at a time where uh, the unemployment rate, so to speak, was much higher than anything imaginable today. Fi- uh, Onesimus had a job. Second, he was a part of a godly family. He was in the household of a godly family, which would mean that he was treated fairly as a servant. We ought not think of Onesimus as a slave in this first century context like we would slavery in the 17th, 16th, or even 18th century context. He was treated biblically. He was treated fairly as opposed to unfairly or harshly. And then thirdly, as a slave of a Christian master, he was properly compensated. He wasn't, he, he wasn't taken advantage of by Philemon, in other words. So Onesimus, as a servant, was in a position that many would have desired to be in at his time in the first century. I know this sounds odd in today's context, but being a servant under a master who is a God-fearing man would have been likened in the first century to being employed by a very, very good employer, one that gave you proper compensation, all the benefits you needed, etc., etc. I say all this to just mention, to leave abruptly, to run away from this situation is foolish. It doesn't make any sense. Why would Onesimus leave? That's such a good situation to be in. 
He's, in a, he's a, a servant in a Christian home, and that Christian is a minister. He had to be taken care of. Why would he just leave? Why leave such a situation when there is so much offered to you? I think many of us would have this question in our mind when we meditate on the situation. Well, congregation, I ask the very same question with regards to those that continue to starve as opposed to come to Christ. I think of the same exact question with regards to those who continue to starve instead of come to Christ and live. What a wretched, terrible choice to continue to live in your sin, to rebel against God, the very God that gives you life and breath, when freedom and forgiveness is offered to you every single day. I mean, this is something that I tell my congregation every single day. Lord's Day. Uh, my congregation is very similar to yours. We, we have a lot of families, a lot of Christian families with children, and they want their children to come to faith. So do I. So each and every week we preach the gospel with the hopes that they will respond by the grace of God. The question still stands, though, why would you rather starve than come? God gives you life, breath, happiness, and joy, all of these great things in his creation, and he calls you to worship him and to give him thanks. The problem that we have is that none of us have a natural desire, a natural inclination to give God thanks or to praise him or to honor him as he ought to be honored. And that's because of sin. That's because of sin. Because our desires that we have are naturally in opposition to what that, that which God demands of us. We all have that sin problem, and that problem not only affects our decisions today, but those who die in their sin will face the just judgment of God, which means the sin that you commit today, because you are outside of Christ, has eternal ramifications. Those who die without forgiveness will receive the eternal punishment of hell. The good news is that God does not leave us in our sin. The good news is that God does not leave us in our sin. That is the good news. He sent His Son to take upon Himself our punishment, presenting Himself a perfect sin offering, a guilt offering, as Isaiah would say, and offers forgiveness to all those that would come to Him by faith. Which means, friend, friend, if you know you're a sinner, if you know that you need God, confess your sin to Him and He will forgive you today. Children, I don't know if you realize that. That's, That's good news. If you know that you need to be forgiven of your sin, and if you know you're a sinner, go to the Lord and He will forgive you. There is not one person that comes to God by faith and gets rejected. Not one. For so many... They choose to starve. They, they, they would rather starve than come. They would rather continue to starve than come. But why continue to live hungry when you can feast on Christ? That's the question that you must consider. Well, the question comes with an answer, and that answer, too, is sin. Sin prevents us from coming to God. Sin keeps us from coming to God. Sin makes us feel that everything's okay. Sin makes us dormant. Sin leads to the rejection of God's providence. Sin led Onesimus to look at the great situation he had in a Christian household 
and run. Sin blinds us from seeing the good things that we have going. People would have killed in that first century to be in a servant role like the one Onesimus had. In a time where starvation was prevalent, where people were dying in the teens and 20s because of their teeth decay, tooth decay, things of that sort. This was such a, this was such a uh, tremendous providence that anyone would love that he left. Yet the slave, in this sense, is not the slave that I'm referring to this afternoon. He was a slave of a good kind. But this Lord's Day, that's not going to be our focus. Because he left that life behind. He left that opportunity behind. The word slave here in our first point is actually going to be a reference to the relationship Onesimus had with his sin. Before he was called son by the beloved apostle here in verse 10, Onesimus was a slave to sin. Sin was the true master that he chose. You want to know why uh, Onesimus left Philemon, his master, his master that he had that God gave him and, and had a very good thing going on? Because he wanted a greater master, which was sin. That was the master he chose. We know this to be the case because, one, he left Philemon in a sinful manner. He didn't go to Philemon and say, okay, I think our contractual obligations are done here. You wanted me to be a slave for six months. It's six months one day. I'm out. It's not what happened. He rebelled. He left. And he left stealing property, as, as the later text will tell us. We know this to be the case due to the testimony of Paul. But most importantly, we know this to be the case. We know this to be the disposition of Onesimus because that is the disposition of all men who are without Christ. They are slaves to sin. It means if you don't have Jesus today, if you don't put your trust in Jesus today, you're a slave to sin. That's, that's your identity. Your identity is known through the lens of sin. Jesus says this to the Pharisees in John 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. He's telling the Pharisees, everyone who lives to sin, who lives a sinful life, who lives in opposition to Jesus Christ. He's not speaking to those who have their sins covered in his life-giving blood, but those who, who live with their sin and, and have their hearts far from Christ. This was a disposition that was evident in the fruit of the life of Onesimus as he ran from the very hand that fed him. But the good news, saints, is that God had a plan for Onesimus. This is where the transforming work of the gospel starts. God had a plan for Onesimus, as he always does. The heart of this man may have been far from God, but God was not far from him. In his sin and rebellion, Onesimus runs into the apostle Paul, while in Rome. Now think about this for a second again. You're talking about 1,500 miles perhaps. Onesimus, Onesimus is associated to Philemon. Philemon is associated to the Colossian church. The Colossian church is in Colossae. Colossae is about 1,500 miles from Rome. He ran away and found Paul 1,500 miles from his house in the first century. He had much time to think about his sin. He had much time to probably think about his life. 
whether or not he would even get to Rome or wherever his destination was in his rebellion. And ultimately what this shows is a great demonstration of God's common grace. As this rebellion, as, as, as Onesimus leaving Philemon in this way, could have, and one may even argue should have, resulted in death. That sin would have costed him his life. Yet God gave him life instead. His journey ends abruptly, but not on his own terms. It ends abruptly on God's terms. This rebellion stops, the Lord says, in other words. He was brought to Christ under the ministry of Paul, and therefore he is no longer a slave to sin in the eyes of the apostle, the one writing this letter, but he is now a son of God, and for Paul, he is a son of the faith. This is important, congregation. This is extremely important that Paul would use these words to describe Onesimus. First, as a great testimony of the gospel, as the power of God and the salvation. Wait, my, he, imagine Philemon reading this. My son Onesimus. What are you talking about? Your son Onesimus, Paul. It's a testimony of the gospel as the power of God and the salvation. This was the start of a new beginning for Onesimus, a new life. But secondly, this is very important to the Apostle Paul as he's writing this. As a minister, this is a man that was converted under his ministry. This is an important indication, again, going back to what Paul was, was thanking the Lord for with regards to Philemon. It's an important indication that God's work is evident in his ministry. That God is blessing those gospel efforts that he is incarcerated for. That's huge encouragement. Like Paul thinking in jail, yeah, I'm in jail, all that stuff, but this guy's saved. Now he's my brother now, he's my son. That's huge. That's massive encouragement. It's encouraging, it's important, because Onesimus was not a man, at least to our knowledge, that sought out Paul. He wasn't looking for Paul. He didn't leave Philemon's household, his gospel household, to go find the gospel at the hands of another. He was running away from the gospel. He hated God, hated Philemon. He wasn't searching out Paul. He probably had a plan to avoid Paul at all costs. He's likely walking through Rome and hears the, here's the open-air ministry of the apostle or perhaps attends one of the many church plants. Nonetheless, we will never know. Nonetheless, we never know what the Word of God will do or who God will bring our way. And that's evident here. And that just shows us, again, we must be prepared to speak the truth in love for our neighbor as we were exhorted to do in the morning. But, but here, Paul calls him a son. That's, that's so important. You know, generally speaking, I think you can make easy sense of this by the doctrine of adoption, sonship, what it means for us to be sons and daughters of God, right? God brings us into his family. We can make sense of it in a very generic way, right? When we, use, when we see the term sons or daughters or children of God, we, can, we understand what that means. But Paul's not talking about adoption proper here. He's not, this isn't a reference to the doctrine of adoption. I mean, it's implied, sure. It's not a reference to that. Paul is speaking of Onesimus as one who is very close to him. A co-laborer in the gospel. Paul is talking about Onesimus like he talks about Timothy. 
or Titus. He is an important brother. The Greek, when you look at the Greek here, it's incredibly interesting. Because you can break this down and, and it can read something like, my child Onesimus, whose father I've become. When you look at the Greek, that, that 10th verse and 11th verse may read that way. My child Onesimus, whose father I've become. Now we obviously know the Apostle Paul didn't go to, the, didn't go to Rome and, and file for adoption papers and adopt Onesimus as his, as his literal son in that way. What Paul is saying here is that this once slave to sin has now become his disciple. This, this once slave to sin on his road to hell has now become a disciple of the Apostle Paul who is now on a road building the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God for the sake of Christ, which would make Onesimus someone very dear to him, like a son, which would make Paul his spiritual father, which would make Paul his spiritual father. I know maybe some that have Roman Catholic backgrounds, that term has been abused, sure, but it's, it's very fitting for the apostle here. He is his spiritual father. He's a father in the faith. It's quite a description as the apostle again only uses this kind of language in two other parts of scripture. It's not common for for Paul to speak this way. There's no doubt that the apostle Paul was a spiritual father to many during his apostolic ministry. Your pastor is your spiritual father. He is a spiritual father to many in this congregation, however many members there are, that's how many. And even more, I would say, because your pastor has uh, an impact in a lot of lives people, of people outside this church. There's no doubt the apostle was like that. He was very much a spiritual father to many in the church. But there are few. With regards to the testimony of Scripture, there are very few that the apostle had this kind of relationship with. Strong, gospel-centered, deep, affectionate relationship. Onesimus was a man that was transformed by the gospel, which for him included a great relationship with the Apostle Paul, with a spiritual father. My son, Onesimus. As his spiritual father, Paul was one who gave him great wisdom and counsel, who, one who was, who, who was very concerned with his maturity. One of the, one of the um, I think that's, it's actually quite common, unfortunately, in a larger, broader evangelical church today, is having these pastors that are pastoring 5,000 people, 4,000 people, 3,000 people with their 15 elders. The question that comes to my mind quite often is, how can you be concerned with their spiritual maturity? All of them individually because you have to be as a a good spiritual father a good minister is concerned about these things and since since Onesimus was saved under his ministry it's likely Paul took him under his wing the spiritual maturity of Onesimus was important to Paul he cared about him like a father does his children which makes sense, biblically, congregation, as a good pastor must be a father to his congregation. 
A good pastor must be a father to his congregation. I think there's so much more that can be said here, but we're going to move on to that second point. So the first effect of the gospel is that he went from, becoming, or went from being a slave to sin to being a son of God, a son of Paul. Secondly, though, Paul says he goes from being unprofitable to profitable. Notice verse 11. Who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. This is amazing. This is quite the contrast when you think about it, congregation. And it shows how, practically speaking, the gospel really changes things for everybody involved. The, like, when people say the gospel is life-changing, it's on bumper stickers, whatever it may be, I get it, it's misused. The gospel is life-changing. Like, we can't forget this. It's the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. It is life-changing. And this text shows it very clearly. For Onesimus, his spiritually bankrupt state was far from desirable. I mean, like, naturally speaking, he didn't even sound like a good slave, but maybe you could have been a good slave. Maybe you can lift weights. Maybe you have some pointless records. But spiritually speaking, he was bankrupt. He's worthless. That's what, I mean, again, the Greek is helpful here. The, the uh, ESV, if you're reading an ESV or New American Standard, which I think you guys do read that, it'll, it uses the term useless. Not unprofitable, useless. And I believe that really puts some emphasis on the Apostle's point here. He's saying, Philemon, this guy was absolutely useless when he came to me. He was like a, a natural man that brings his works to God and says, look what I have to offer you, God. Not knowing that God says in his word, that all of, our, all of our works are like filthy rags in his eyes. Like disgusting rags in his eyes. Useless. But what would cause Paul to make such a statement about the unregenerate Onesimus and his sinful condition? Well, first, he, he would have to be stated as unprofitable or useless to Philemon on the basis of First and foremost, him being a thief. So he stole from Philemon. He, he, he changed Philemon's disposition for the worst. Okay? He was a poor slave. A good slave doesn't run away. A good slave stays and serves their master to bring glory to God, FYI. But he was a poor slave. He ran away. And thirdly, for Philemon, he was unprofitable because he's a headache. He left. You know, ministers, pastors cannot stand when people just leave without saying anything, especially if they've been there for a while, whether it's the church, whether it's whatever it may be. If, like if someone leaves, have the decency to have a conversation prior to leaving or, or have some kind of talk, but he left. Onesimus just left. He was a headache in the mind of Philemon. He was an unresolved issue. <laughs> Philemon could not have, biblically speaking, Philemon couldn't have just written off Onesimus. Oh yeah, that was one of my slaves back in the day. He stole some stuff from me. Wonder what's going on with him. No. 
That's unloving. That would be unloving of, of uh, Philemon to do. And, and Paul, it would, make, it would make Paul's words nonsensical. Philemon loved this man. And that love didn't change for him after he sinned against him. Likely prayed for him more. But it was, a, it was an unprofitable situation as he left as an unresolved issue. And generally speaking, a sinful disposition like the one you see in Onesimus or like the one all those who are outside of Christ are living in right now, the sinful disposition, makes someone unprofitable, makes someone useless for other reasons as well. Just generally speaking, a person in sin is untrustworthy. If you are a slave to sin, if you are outside of Christ, your sinful disposition of being a sinner who has no desire to repent or come to Christ, makes you untrustworthy. There's no such thing as a trustworthy, unregenerate man. doesn't exist. A person in sin typically brings others with them. Therefore, they are unprofitable for that reason again. Someone who is a slave to sin and someone uh, uh, walking towards or walking with a Christian That's a dangerous position for the Christian to be in. Because another brother, walking with another brother, you're not, you ought not have to worry about being drugged into other sin. But with the unbeliever, that's not only on the table, it's very likely. Very likely. And then this one, this is like the, for me, this is where it stings. A sinful disposition makes us unprofitable because a person in sin has a different chief end. Like, our desires are different. When we come to Christ, we receive new joys, new desires, a new heart. We want to do the things that please God. The law, the law goes from being a burden to now something that we love and run to and praise God, right? What's the, what's the, what's the impetus, the carrot on the stick, if you will, and all of that? That God may be glorified. That we may, we may bring glory to our Creator. That is our chief end. That is what, that's our aim. Right? That's not the aim of the unregenerate person that hates God, that seeks to glorify themselves. They have a different chief end. They have a different goal. Makes them unprofitable, useless, spiritually speaking. These are the very same things that made Onesimus Unprofitable. This is why the apostle has every right to say, here's what he once was. But God. Again, those two, I think it's Lloyd-Jones that says those are the two sweetest words in all of the Bible. But God. God had a plan. When the sinner comes to Christ and receives the undeserving grace of God, we are no longer unprofitable. We are no longer unprofitable. Listen. We're no longer untrustworthy. We're no longer prone to bring people into sinful, wicked, vile streaks with us. And we no longer have a chief end. This is not to say that we are without sin. This is not to say that we may not fall into temptation that may deem us untrustworthy, that may bring others into sin with us, or that may lose the sight of our chief end. But these things change. The truth is that every single image bearer has value, dignity, and worth 
simply on the basis of that alone. But purpose is found by way of the gospel. And uh, and purpose is purchased by way of the gospel. God's grace gave Onesimus a new reason to live as new life was given to him. And in addition, it gave him proper direction and purpose. By the grace of God, the gospel made Onesimus profitable. He has now a reason to live. That's because when God saves the sinner, indeed, we are saved to much profit, congregation. That's such an important point. So many of us struggle with our value. So many of us struggle with what what our role is in the church, right? Single lady at age 28 who's unmarried, who's just serving the Lord, trying to figure out her way. Widow whose husband is with the Lord. Your purpose doesn't end. God's plan for you doesn't cease at that moment in time. When God saves us, he saves us to much profit. And the end of that profit is ultimately glory. When God saved Paul, think about, think about this one. When God saved Paul, he's given a whole new mission on life. And it was a rewarding mission. It was a fruitful mission. When God saved Ruth, Naomi was blessed. Right? When, 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 Ruth, when um, Orpah left and went back to Moab, but Ruth said, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to stay with you, Naomi. Who were the parties blessed? Well, Boaz got an amazing wife. Let's start there. Ruth got an amazing husband. Naomi was taken care of as a widow who was, who was I would say, anxious with regards to what God's provisions looked like for her in the future. And then here's the good one. There's a great one. The Messiah. Good, I see a lot of head shakes there. I was hoping the Messiah from her womb. So we, we, we see that, that God saves the sinner to much profit. There is indeed much blessing there. And likewise, God's saving Onesimus was for great profit. As the apostle says, you are now profitable, or he is now profitable to you and to me. This is, God, this is so interesting. Onesimus, again, was not profitable to Philemon, but now is. How can we say this? Well, first, he's repentant. So that first point of him being a thief and therefore being unprofitable because he's a thief, the gospel reverses that. Well, you're, now you're repentant. I no longer can see you as a thief. I no longer can see you as a rebellious, runaway thief that hates God. That's the first way he's profitable to to Philemon. That's the first way right off the bat. He's a brother in Christ. He's not a rebel. You're not this rebellious, dead-in-your-sin slave that I thought would work out. You're a brother. You're not a rebel anymore. You're my brother. So you are profitable for that reason alone. Even if I don't know what I don't know what to do with you. I don't really know what you can do for the church or any of those things, but I do know you're my brother. I do know you're repentant. So therefore, I do know you're profitable. You're profitable to me for that reason alone. But he's also, and again, this is where 
it's fun reading church history and the testimony of the early church. It's very likely that Onesimus is a minister. It's, it's very likely that Paul goes, Onesimus goes to the Apostle Paul as a slave to sin, is, is saved by the grace of God, is discipled by the Apostle Paul. Paul actually wants Onesimus to stay with him so that he would continue to be ministered to. Ministered to. Okay, so this guy's a minister, but he instead, because he knows it's better for the church, it's, it's, it's ultimately what's fitting, sends him back. Why would he say he's helpful now to Philemon and to the church? Well, I would say because he's a minister. And perhaps instead of Philemon having to work, out, work out, uh, and think about the gospel ministry alone or um, perhaps with Archippus, because Archippus in Colossians 4, uh, the Colossians are told by Paul to encourage Archippus to finish the ministry, to fulfill the ministry that God has given him. So it's likely that maybe Philemon is still with Archippus or maybe Archippus has fulfilled his ministry and is retired or whatever that means. And, and now he needs that gospel help. So Onesimus comes. He's a minister. He can help him minister. He can, he can continue to bless the ministry there at Colossae. But he's also profitable to Paul. He says, not only profitable, but to you and to me. He's profitable to the Apostle Paul, first and foremost, because he is a fruit of the Apostle's ministry, meaning, again, he is an indication of the work of the Holy Spirit and therefore is a walking encouragement to the Apostle. But he was not only a convert under his ministry, but also a partner in the ministry. For example, it was Onesimus who brings this letter to Philemon. That just adds a whole layer of irony that we just don't even want to get into. But the guy that rebelled and left now has to come back with the very letter requesting that you take him back. And you have every reason to do so because he's saved. But what I really think uh, the rubber meets the road here is that he left unprofitable to Philemon and appeared unprofitable to Paul the gospel changes his life. His prophet now goes from not just Paul and Philemon, but now to the whole church. He's profitable to the whole church. Onesimus leaving in such a wicked way surely brought grief to not just Philemon's household, but if Philemon is a minister in Colossae, then it's likely the, whole, the entire Colossian church knew of the rebellion here with Onesimus. But how encouraging, how profitable, how useful is it for us to see a man or woman returning to the church in repentance with their hands out, saying, here I am, send me, send me. It's extremely profitable. It's extremely encouraging. He is of now great profit to God's people. But again, if he is a minister, which a testimony of the church would conclude, then now he is one that brings gifts. He is one that that brings important gifts to the church. He is extremely profitable. I am like foaming at the mouth waiting for our church to receive the profit of another minister. And I know you guys are too. 
I know Pastor Barcelos is. Obviously, we're waiting on the Lord, but we, we, we think about that. Wow, what if, I, what if there was one more minister here? These people would be blessed. These people would be blessed. The church. Yes, the minister. Well, we, we're part of the church, too. The minister will be blessed as we have a, quote-unquote, co-worker, co-laborer. But the church is tremendously blessed when they receive another minister. This is likely the case with Onesimus. And then thirdly, it's profitable. He is now profitable to the whole church because, again, he is a testimony of God's grace. Wait a second. You mean that 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 person left, rebelled, took stuff from you, and now he's back as a Christian and serving the church? It's a testimony of God's grace. And that is encouraging. That's useful for the people of God. Moving to our third point, and this is likely our final point this morning, or this, this afternoon. From one way to another. This closing point, I think, is extremely important and really central to the, la- to the letter, so I want to ask for your close attention here. In light of God's saving work in Christ, Onesimus went from running to returning. In light of God's saving work in Christ, Onesimus went from running to returning. The gospel changed his direction, congregation. Are you like you're tired of running from God, living in your sin? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Because again, the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. If you're tired of the direction that you're going, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God will change your direction. God changed Onesimus' direction. You've heard me say this before, visiting you saints, and I I feel like I'm a part of this church in a lot of ways. And I'll continue to say it each time I come here. Without Christ, we're lost. Without Jesus Christ, we are lost. Without Christ, man has no hope, no life, and man has no direction. That's how Onesimus left Philemon's household. Without Christ, without hope, without life, without direction. Surely he heard the gospel. Again, he's living in a Christian household. Surely he'd heard the gospel. He knew the message, but he didn't believe it. He didn't have faith. He had no hope when he left. He left without direction, like a man in a desert without a compass. He stole from his master from before he left, so we can conclude he wasn't in the right state of mind. Maybe he thought he had a good plan. Maybe even one that didn't include Christ in his church. Maybe Onesimus was like the many fools that are walking this earth right now that, they, that think they can go on living apart from God, as if God is not supplying air for them to breathe, to even say such blasphemy. This is foolish. Man constantly makes himself wiser than God in such a manner as did Onesimus, thinking they can live life without consequences or accountability. Some foolishly think that they can live their own path now and come to God later in life. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that one. That is the biggest joke of all. Well, I have a lot of years. Average person lives to about 70. Bible says 82. Eh, I can wait till 40 and then I'll come to Jesus. 
Tomorrow is not promised. It's foolish. Not only that, nobody seeks after God. It's foolish to think that you're just going to come to God on your own terms when you decide at some particular point. Paul makes it very clear in, in citing the Old Testament in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18, that no one seeks after God. If your actions are leading you to rebel, it's not God leading you another direction. It's your sin leading you away from God. Again, yet the good news is that God works even in spite of our sin and rebellion. God had other plans. For Onesimus, Onesimus left. Onesimus left in his sin only for God to say to him in verse 12, I'm sending you back. Only for Paul to say, I'm I'm sending you right back. Notice verses 12 and 13. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. That's where I I think we can really show that that Onesimus is actually a minister, but we'll save that for another time. In his rebellion, he meets the beloved apostle and is converted. The question I think that comes to mind is what's next? That's a question that comes to mind when we all come to faith, I think. For me it was. When I, when I got saved, what's next? What do I do? I wanted to just do all these wicked, sinful, foolish things, but now I can't, and I don't want to. But what do I, what's next? Well, God has pastoral ministry. That's a good question. What's next? You know? Congregation, if you can recall in Acts 9... When Saul is converted, the Lord tells him to go to Ananias and receive direction from Ananias. The scales fall off his eyes, he's baptized, he begins his ministry, the Lord directs his steps and uses the necessary means to do so. Well, likewise, here this afternoon with Onesimus, while this man was on his road to rebellion, God saved him, bringing him to the hand of one of his own, namely St. Paul, And so the answer to the question of what's next seems to be fitting to come from the mouthpiece of the apostle. And the what's next for Onesimus is to go back. Go back. And what's next for Philemon and the church is to receive him by faith. That's the direction from the apostle. I want us to consider that direction from, from two different angles. Let's first consider this new direction to Philemon. There are many reasons the apostle would give this counsel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I'd like to just give a few. Why would he tell um, Onesimus to Philemon to receive Onesimus back in such a manner? Well, Paul sends him back because that's where he belonged. That's first and foremost. Paul sent him back because that's where he belonged. He left in a manner that would demand him to come back, repentant or not, by the way. He didn't, he, he, he didn't have a choice to leave in the first place. So whether he's saved or not saved, he needed to come back. But Paul sends him back because this is where he belonged. The fact that Onesimus left in a sinful way made it necessary for him to return and even more necessary for the apostle to counsel him accordingly. We have an obligation to do right before God and man. And this is an example of Paul doing exactly that. 
Paul might, Paul might have wanted Onesimus to, to preach to him while he was sleeping until his face turned blue. That's not what God called of him. So he couldn't have done it. Well, he could have, but it wouldn't have been right. He had to go back to Philemon, Onesimus did, to reconcile. At that point, there was nothing else really that mattered. You need to go back and make it right. Second, Paul sends him back because that's where he's wanted. Paul sends him back because that's where Onesimus is wanted. Now, Philemon and the church don't know that yet, but they will. That's where he's wanted. Congregation, the church rejoices when one of her members repents. Now again, Onesimus wasn't a member of the church, at least not to our knowledge. I completely would disagree with anyone that proposed that. But nonetheless, the church rejoices when one of their members repents. We see this with church discipline. We see this even in our own lives. When we've fallen away, when we've made our way off the path, and by the grace of God, as His goodness leads us to repentance, we're brought back on that path. The church rejoices. But saints, what a joy it is to experience the conversion of another, especially when that person is part of your family or maybe someone within the church or someone that you perhaps prayed for for many years. Such providence is a sweet fruit of the gospel. When someone comes to faith within the household of God, where they belong is precisely where they are. Now, Paul didn't come to faith uh, at church, at the Colossian church. He came to faith under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And like I said, knowing Paul could have been a street preaching endeavor, could have been a house church, nonetheless. But Onesimus is part of the Colossian church, so he needed to go back. There's no better place than the church for those who are newly converted or those who have been walking with the Lord for quite some time. Again, the church is where God's people belong. And then thirdly, Paul sends him back because that's where he's needed. That's where he's needed. That's where he's wanted. That's where he's needed. There's a difference. Of course, Paul would have loved to minister with Onesimus, just like he would have loved to get out of... uh, get out of jail the first, second, third time, just like he would have loved to continue to disciple Timothy and and go do some gospel madness in Asia, just like he would have loved to do all of that. He would have loved to minister with Onesimus, a new convert, a clean slate, one that has a has he's, he's developed a great relationship with. This is the making of great things, congregation. But it was not where the Lord would have him, and that's what's most important. It's not where the Lord would have him, and that's what's most important. I was thinking about, Pastor Steve's probably going to listen to this, but I was thinking about myself and Pastor Markadon, and me being there for so many years at that church. That was like the goal, right? Well, we're going we're gonna to be like a gospel team, like a gospel force, right? And we were for a minute, but God had other plans. Brings me to Sentinella. We need to know that when, when, when God... When God does have other plans that might not be the things that you wanted, we need to trust the Lord because His will is good. 
It's always good. Doesn't, God, doesn't, uh, God doesn't misdirect, uh, mislead us or anything like that of that sort. But no matter how good for Paul, how good it might have sounded on paper, it was not of the Lord. He needed to be Onesimus where God called him. In addition, Paul needed to get the letter to Philemon and to the church. And what better man than Onesimus? But Paul also instructs Philemon and subsequently the church regarding this matter. Hear the word of the Lord one more time. Verses 12 and 13. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Philemon and really the church as a whole were exhorted to receive Onesimus in a particular manner, not as one who is dead, useless, unprofitable, but one that is alive and well, not as a stranger, but as a brother. And here is really where it hits home, not just as a brother, like not just as any brother, but Paul says that Onesimus, he asks that Onesimus be received as if Onesimus was Paul. As if you're receiving my own heart. As if you're receiving my own heart. Receive this man as if he is my own flesh and blood saved by grace alone. That's a big request. For Philemon, naturally speaking, that would have been a head-scratcher. Naturally speaking, again, well, I know this guy's nothing like you. He stole my stuff and left. You're giving the clothes off your back for the sake of the gospel. What do you mean, receive him in such a manner? Naturally speaking, one may think that way. For the church, this would be a head-scratcher. Wait, isn't this the guy that robbed our minister? Why do we want him back? Why aren't we closing the doors on this guy? It would have been a head-scratcher. A congregation in light of God's saving work by the way of his glorious gospel, it was a request the apostle had every right to bring forth as the gospel is truly life-changing. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you once again giving you thanks. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the only Savior of sinners, who took upon himself our flesh, lived a holy and righteous life without sin, only to take upon himself the penalty for sin that we deserve, namely death. Lord, we thank you for this Christ. We thank you that everyone who calls on his name, who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be saved. We thank you for the effects of the gospel and how it truly is life-changing, how it truly transforms us, how it takes us from being useless to useful. May we be useful, Lord, this Lord's day. In Jesus' name, amen.